Welcome to the Evangel Temple Youth Ministries podcast. We pray that this message would be instrumental in God speaking to you and drawing you closer to Him. Now, here's today's sermon. We are just having our panel discussion. We're not going into campfire groups or anything like that. But I really believe that God has something to speak to us tonight. Just because we're not going into our own little corner and praying doesn't mean that God doesn't want to speak to you tonight. And so um, Isaac and I picked these three panel members because we believe that God is working in them and working through them. And he has something for them to say to you all tonight. So um, I just pray that you guys would open your hearts to what God has to say through them tonight. So we are finishing up our series on radical relationships. Um, It's been about this past six or seven weeks, I think. That sounds bad, sorry. Um, So we've been going through Matthew 5, and really what we've been finding is that Jesus is commanding us to love him more in the way that we interact with other people. So we found that through various verses, which we'll go over um, through the panel discussions. So that's really um, what we're also emphasizing in these questions today and the answers that they give is how Jesus is um, calling us to interact with one another. So without further ado, let's get started. If you guys want to introduce yourselves first, uh, Jordan, you want to start us off? Uh, hey, guys. My name is Jordan Deese. Uh, I went to school with Isaac, uh, graduated same year, same day. Uh, love him, love being a part of this. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I work with an organization that helps plant churches across the country, um, that helps uh, train the leaders to be able to start new churches uh, everywhere from Maine to California, all the way across. Uh, love it, get to do it every day. Um, and it's a blast being able to do it. I've been married for two years now. Um, sure about that? I am, <laughs> I am 97% sure. So I am on the beginning of learning about what healthy relationships look like, and I'm learning more and more every day because of it. That's good. I'm Christina, which most of you I know or we've interacted with at some point. But um, my husband um, actually spoke about a month ago. Um, in May, he preached, and so I was hanging out in the back with our baby girl, Alexia, um, so now we switch roles. He's back there with her, so if you hear a little a little cry or actually more a little squeal, um, it's Israel, but <laughs> well done. Um, just ignore that. She gets excited. She likes to be a part of the conversation, but um, I, I work for an organization called the Network of Women Ministers, um, so I oversee a variety of things for that. I do all of our social media. Um, I also, she wants to talk, too, um, and I strategize for uh, university girls as well as um, some of our younger credentialed female ministers in the Assemblies of God, so I love what I do, and I get to take my baby girl with me everywhere I go. It's awesome. And you guys just started a podcast, right? Yes. So we just started a podcast um, for the network. It's uh, on Facebook as well as some other places, but that'll be out on Tuesdays, but we have a special one coming out this Saturday. So if you're interested in that, check it out because it's learning and growing um, and leadership stuff. Tim, let's hear it. You bet. All right, I'm Tim Rogers. Uh, Some of you remember a few months ago I spoke on Mormonism here. I remember some faces. Uh, But I am a business professor at OTC, and I'm also Elise's dad. So anyway, (laughs) 
And that is all we really need to say, yeah. So tell us about, like, your work that you do here at the church. Um, I, I don't know. We've been here for about uh, 13 years or so. And my wife, uh, she is on the board here, and uh, she's the treasurer. I uh, pretty much run the car show that we have, the 5K, and our car show that's in the fall, and that raises money for Royal Family uh, Ministries. And then I volunteer with lots of different other activities here at the church. I do a lot with uh, counting tithes and the uh, financial side of it. Um, so I just kind of fill in where needed. Cool. So our first question is pretty broad stroke question, so you guys can kind of answer this however you'd like. Um, but in your opinion, what is the most challenging concept in Matthew chapter 5 for teenagers today? I'll take it. Um, the, <clears throat> the one that I think is the most challenging is the uh, turn the other cheek. Uh, that's, that is something that I have probably struggled with. Not, not so much personally, but struggled to understand what it means. Uh, because I, deep down inside, think that that is weak, honestly. Um, so this idea that when someone wrongs you or someone does something very bad to you, the idea that you should just turn, or, you know, turn away from it or let them do it again, that rubs me the wrong way, actually. So that's something personally that I have uh, always found perplexing. Um, I, I really think that, and this is my opinion, I really think that this does not apply in every situation. Um, you should not subject yourself to punishment from other people time after time after time. I don't think you should always walk in looking to be a victim. And I, and I think that a lot of people misuse that scripture to say that they should just always take what's coming to them. Uh, from somebody else, and I, I don't agree with that. And I think what Jesus is saying here is more of the fact that we need to be loving to others, and there are times that we know that they are doing something wrong to us, but in those times, we don't have to always defend or be defensive and uh, try to lash back at these people. We can we can take what we're you know what we're getting from them. And we can be stronger for that uh, without always having to respond in, in a negative way. I think that kind of coincides with what he is saying with the rest of, you know, the New Testament, where he is talking about uh, being loving to others and letting others see you as a light. And, um, and so I wish I had more, like, deeper explanation of how uh, or what he's talking about there. Uh, but but I don't. So I, I'm right there with you. I struggle with that, and I think that is the most um, difficult concept of Matthew chapter 5. Trying to figure out when you should be passive and when you should stand up for yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, for me, uh, when reading Matthew chapter 5, like uh, it's most confusing for me when you're kind of looking at the scenario. It's kind of weird. Like Jesus goes to teach the people closest to him that have heard him probably teach multiple times in the past. Uh, he starts out by saying, like, blessed are the, the certain people that do certain things, like, the, that bring justice to injustice, the blessed are the peacemakers. And then he starts going into um, just some radical claims, like, gouge your eye out if it causes you to sin, cut off your arm. And, uh, I mean, I remember reading that as a teenager, even reading it today, and you're like, my gosh, like, what, <laughs> what do you mean? I, I should literally cut out my eye? 
Um, and so I think it's hard that when you're, you're sitting in that, if you imagine yourself sitting at the scenario, the teaching of Jesus, and you're a person that's heard his teaching multiple times, and you've seen the way he interacts with people and the way that he teaches in the past, and then all of a sudden it gets very, uh, very radical, very fast. And I think the, the easy way out for us is to say, well, obviously he's not meaning to cut out your eye, so that, that can be skipped over. But we almost drown out the meaning of what Jesus is trying to say there, of take it very, very, very seriously. This isn't something to be overlooked. This isn't something that uh, you can pass by because it is so serious that I would teach to my closest followers that you should do these very extreme things. So that's challenging to, to wrestle with, to deal with, of a Jesus that, um, that loves you so much, that, uh, that gave his life for you, to also say these words. Um, but the best thing you can do is just lean into them and see, okay, even if challenging, even if radical, what's the best way that I can read this and take it and apply it to my life? It's good. You got something, Christina? Sure. So what is the uh, most challenging concept for teenagers? I don't know that it's specific to a time frame of our life um, because I think that we all can look through Matthew 5 and be like, we can make some check marks and be like, well, I was meek today or I turned the other cheek today. Um, but you get down to the end of it and he says, love your enemy. And for me, man, you hurt me or you hurt somebody I love especially, and then you want me to love someone who is my enemy. I feel like beyond just being teenage or adult, whatever stage of life we're in, to ask us to love who is our enemy um, pretty broadly, everybody, all of us, because some of us just by our nature, but some of you, some of you just by who you are, like you're just kind of a humble person or you're a meek person, or it's easy for you to, like, turn the other cheek, or, or it's easy for you to, like, keep your mind in the right place. But, like, and I could be wrong, but I feel like for all of us, when, when he says, love your enemy, for a moment, it kind of, like, catches you. I'm like, oh, oh, whoa, really? Um, so for that, I, I feel like that is a challenge to all of us, um, and to dive into why is he saying that? Um, what's the purpose behind it? Um, and I think it goes, some of it goes back into what Jordan just said of the bigger picture of these radical claims. That's pretty radical. What is it really about? It's about our Savior. Um, we can't do that. We can't do anything that he listed in there aside from him. That's good. That's really good. All right. So our first question specifically um, from Matthew 5, um, I'll read the scripture that it's probed from. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So a question that comes from that is, what if they're not being persecuted? A lot of kids in their schools aren't necessarily being persecuted for their faith. Are they doing something wrong in those situations? So I have a unique, sorry, were you just going to, all right, get that mic. Um, I, I had a unique experience in high school. So 
um, I was at a brand new high school, and my purpose for going, I was in junior high, there was two years where I was homeschooled, and then one year went to a private Christian school. And then I made the choice to go to a public high school um, because I thought, you know what, I, I'm really, like, serious about my relationship with Jesus, and I know there's people who need to, to see and hear about that. And I know that I'm not going to be swayed. So I decided to go to public high school, particularly for that reason. And I just remember... Um, there's some hesitation. You're like, ah, oh, what are you going to encounter, right? But I found the majority of the time, I just kind of lived my life as a Christian. And I was open about being Christian and the decisions I made that were countered to what all my classmates and even some of my friends were doing. Um, I didn't make it this weird thing. Like, I didn't make a big deal about it. I wasn't sheepish about it. I was just like, yeah, man, I just don't do that. And I realized that other people, if I was cool with it, other people were like, oh, okay, that's cool. And as the years went on and I stayed consistent in, to what I said about being a Christian and living that lifestyle, um, they really started to respect where I stood. Um, and and they, their response was, oh, well, Christine just doesn't do that. Or we re they respected that I didn't. Now, I did get made fun of for some of my beliefs and things like that. But in that sense, I stood where I was. Um, and I'm just like, okay, like I, I'm going to just continue on. So to answer the question, the reason why I tell that story is because sometimes you are doing the right thing and just the way that you carry yourself or the way that the other person on the other end, they just, they're like, oh, okay, you're a Christian, not a big deal. So yes, you could be living a Christ-like life and, and doing, according to this, the scripture, the right thing and not be persecuted for it. On the other hand, you may not be doing the right thing because are you, are you in scenarios where you recognize I would be made fun of, I would be maybe isolated from everybody else because I'm a Christian, but I'm not answering true to my faith and I'm not living out true to my faith in front of my friends because of that reason. If you know you're going to be isolated, you know you're going to be um, uh, made fun of or whatever, persecuted, and you're intentionally not speaking truth, or living it out because of that reason, then yeah, I would say you might need to, to like check yourself and be like, why am I afraid of being true to who I really am as a Christ follower? I think something that she hit on, that Christina hit on, that's very important is the consistency aspect. So uh, for us, it's easy to look at this passage and it says persecution, persecution, persecution over and over again. And it's, it's hard for uh, sometimes for us to grasp that mindset because um, we just live in an era and a culture that persecution in its form in Jesus' time and persecution in its form even now around the world compared to what, what we go through on a daily basis is two completely different things. Like people giving their lives for their faith is, looks, it's, it's just completely different across, the, across the, the world than it does here in our culture. But that doesn't mean this, this passage doesn't uh, still take into some serious effect. And I think what, what Christina hit on with the consistency, in this passage it says persecution over and over again. But what I read in it is, is perseverance. So it, it, it says it like your, your reward's waiting for you in heaven. It's the consistent life following Jesus day after day, day after day, day after day. And when you encounter things that might not necessarily be persecution in the sense that 
people are harming you or um, going after you, attacking you specifically for your faith, there are going to be times living a life in middle school, high school, that you encounter people that just differ in opinions and want to be very mean and overtake you uh, and bully their way around because they think they can have a power to do so. Um, and in that, in those moments, it's so important to just remember perseverance. It's, it's perseverance. Like Jesus is with those who persevere and endure to the end. And if you can hold on to that, that hope that no matter what goes on in my day-to-day life, as long as I'm consistently following Jesus and as long as I can persevere and get through it, find my, find my crew of friends that I can link arms with and we can run at this thing together, that's where it, it comes in. And it's so important to have that continuity and that consistency in your, your life following Jesus. That's good. Even if you guys aren't being persecuted, this verse, these multiple verses are like still for us. We still need to be encouraged to persevere. I think that's really good. Tim, do you have anything to add yeah, to that? Yeah, sure I will. <laughs> I say, if this is you and you're not being persecuted, uh, then just count yourself lucky. I mean, you got a good thing going on. We're living in the lap of luxury. We're the richest nation on the face of the earth of all time forever. We have it really good. And so, as you were saying before, the persecution that we know here is nothing like the persecution that exists around the world currently or that existed in the biblical times. And so we have it made. Uh, yeah, it might feel like, you know, when, when you don't understand the other side or, or if you're young, uh, it might feel like it's, it's bigger than it is. But just uh, keep going. Keep going with your faith. Keep going and being bold. Be nice to people. School is only a few years anyway, and you'll grow up and be out of it. Um, But what I have uh, experienced in my life, and I'd like to pass this on to you, is try to make these relationships with your friends meaningful right now, because your friends are going to get weird. When people (laughs) get older, they get weird. And so you can talk to people in middle school, and, and a lot of times in high school, much easier than you can talk to these same people later on in college or when they are out of college. At that point, they're very hardened in what they think and what they believe, and they're more, they're more free to persecute you. So if, if you want to bring that, that term back into play, that stuff will start to occur probably later in your life. Uh, Because people, when they get older, are much more free to say those things to you. Um, So I I say just count yourself lucky because the type of persecution that is going on around the world is much, much, much more severe uh, than what we have here. And so, you know, be happy. We, We have everything. You got God. You got a place to worship. You can say things freely. You can disagree with things. Uh, you, you've got it made, so just keep that in mind. That, that friendship thing is so, so key. I, I saw it in my own life, and I handled it very poorly. Uh, I had one of my best friends that I grew up with, been uh, friends since fifth grade, um, went through middle school, high school together, um, came with, like, we went to college together. We were college roommates um, for a couple years, but what we didn't do uh, in our middle school, high school years was intentionally have conversations about faith, about Jesus, and where we were at with it. And because of that, we were friends. We weren't close. There's a difference between being friends and being around each other and then having that close-knit 
thing that can only come from a relationship with Jesus and then speaking and talking that out with the people around you and trying to figure it out together. Um, Because I think a lot of things would have been different for both of us if we would have have linked arms together, put an, an arm around somebody's shoulder and said, whatever happens today or this week or this month, we're in this together. We're not losing this. We're not, we're not losing ground, but we're going to walk together with what we can, no matter who comes against us, who comes around us and tries to pull us in different directions. But two is always better than one. Three is always better than two or one. You're stronger and you're better together than you are uh, on your own because it's, it's very easy to get pulled in a direction if you don't have somebody on your right and your left. So whether our students are being persecuted or whether they're just needing perseverance, both of those, you need the community around you to kind of lift you up, Um, which leads well into our next question. Um, This is regarding Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So even though we're not necessarily in a culture where persecution is happening very often, um, there is not a huge acceptance of necessarily the Christian worldview. So how do we try to shine our light when the world around us sees it as pushing our faith on them? So I think there was a time where where it was taught uh, to people growing up or people... Um, wanting to share their faith with others, that like, like you walk up to somebody and you're basically like, if you died today, do you know where you would spend your eternity? And that was supposed to spark a conversation. Like me scaring you into thinking that you're going to hell is somehow going to um, arrive at a, at a place where um, you meet and follow Jesus for the rest of your life, which it, it, it probably worked in a lot of scenarios. But I think now um, in an age where each one of us have so many different connections and relationships on our phones, um, through social media, that uh, it's weird because we've almost all come to value authenticity at a time where authenticity seems lost everywhere else. And uh, it's weird how, and I've even noticed um, in in different students I interact with in high school and middle school and as they grow up in in college that you guys have a very um, keen awareness of when somebody's being real and when somebody uh, lacks that authenticity. Um, and so when you're, when you're talking about being able to, to see the light in other people, um, I'm almost reminded of a story when, uh, when I was little, um, my, my mom had these like powdered donuts. And I, I snuck into the kitchen one night and I'm, I'm just shoving these powdered donuts in my face and I don't want her to notice. So I like wash my hands and I'm going back to my room and she sees me, and she looks at me. I have powdered sugar all over my face. You can see it on other people when they've been spending time with Jesus. Like, you just notice it. You can see it on their face. You can see it in their, their day-to-day life, the way that they interact. It, they can, 
they can come out from a, um, a space where they've been spending time with Jesus and it's noticeable. And so for you, as people that are very, very aware of when people are authentic and real, I think you guys have a great awareness of that in other people. And if you would spend the time, put in the reps, Bible, prayer, other people will notice. And that starts to be something that just spreads out from more than just you. My answer is the same. Is because I don't necessarily agree with um, sharing my faith isn't shoving it down your throat. I don't agree with that concept. And when... Okay, yes, if you're like, do you know Jesus or you're going to hell? Okay, that thing, yes. But if you're around me, you're going to hear about Jesus. If you follow me on social media, you're going to see and hear about Jesus. Because it's not something that I just talk about. It's my lifestyle. And so just like Jordan said, I live that out actively. So I don't feel like somebody could say, you're pushing your faith down my throat. I'm, well, no, if you're going to be in close proximity and we're going to have a relationship, it's just going to be present because that's who I am. So for me, I think it, it goes more under the side of, and, and if conversations come up or being bold in a moment of relationship with somebody, if the Holy Spirit prompts me and says, ask, ask that question that maybe is a little bit more pressing, they could maybe feel that way. But the difference is there's a relationship that is established there that's being built off of. That's good. Yeah, I agree with both of those. That's good. <clears throat> There's a, a phrase that I've heard multiple times uh, throughout life saying, I'll walk and you lead. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of how I have approached this idea of not, not being pushy with faith at all, but the idea that I'm going to keep walking and keep doing what I'm doing, and God's going to lead somehow. And whether we know it or not, he is. He's going to put the people in front of us. He's going to put the situations before us. And he has a purpose for it. And so I have a large group of really nutty friends. They're all over the map. Uh, literally, I got friends in prison right now. I got friends that are just all over the place. And um, one of them who, uh, you know, is probably in the middle of being crazy um, he even told me a couple years ago that he was actually thankful that I didn't push, like, Christianity down his throat. And uh, he said this in the context of, of coming into a maturity in his life where he realized that there was something bigger to this. And maybe he had kind of screwed up a little bit. But he uh, went ahead and thanked me for not shoving it down his throat because he said, if you did, I would have pushed you away. Like, I, I didn't want to hear it. I would have told you to shut up, and I would have never seen you again. And, and you, you can feel that from people. And, and there's a time to push a little harder with some, and there's a time to just back off and keep a relationship uh, somewhat kindling. And there'll be a, an opportunity for it in the future. And so, you know, my advice would be don't be pushy at all because it's not legit People are not going to like it uh, when you do that stuff. And, and it's also selfish. I think a lot of people uh, try to, to lead with, with some of these God attitudes uh, because they think that they are going to get some sort of a score out of this uh, with God if they are just always pushing, always pushing it, and they're not real with it. Because honestly, you know, the, some of these people would not like to spend an hour with, you know, beyond uh, the few minutes that they're spending with this person before them. 
And so you have to build a relationship, and that takes a long time, and you can't have a relationship with everybody either. And that's why, you know, kind of like I said before, you should really start uh, a few of these good relationships younger in life and try to foster those up uh, and stand up for each other because later on in life you'll be in situations where maybe those uh, group dynamics early in your life will help. And um, so you just keep, you know, keep uh, being yourself and uh, don't cave at all. Be confident and be bold at times and let God lead from that point on. And I, I think just very practically, I think we complicate things in our heads more than they actually are in the relationships around us. So I, I think we can psych ourselves out by, um, like, in a faith conversation by thinking, like, oh, my gosh, like, I have to know all the answers. I have to uh, be able to lead them to Jesus. Like, I have to, I have to know what I know what I know because they're going to ask me every question in the book about this, and I'm going to have to be the one to answer. When, when seriously, like, sometimes it just takes, like, take an, invite them to youth. Like, Isaac and Sarah can walk them through, through any of it. You can walk with them through relationship. Uh, with it. It's just, it just takes an invite. There have been countless lives, millions of lives changed over the course of history because one friend decided to invite another friend to a, a gathering. Like, it, it has resulted in so much life change, and it's so, so, so simple by just, hey, let's go to this thing together. Your friends can meet Jesus, can have their lives impacted, have their, uh, their entire course of history, their entire family changed in a moment just because you threw a, a, an invite at them to be able to come hang out with you on a Wednesday night. It, it, we complicate it so much, and it can be so, so simple. I'll add on to that, too, just, just to add one more thing. Um, I, I really firmly believe that you should know what you believe uh, because, like you're saying, again, people overcomplicate this where they think that they are the ones who have to represent God in all things. And if they get a question that they can't answer, they're going to look stupid. Therefore, Christianity is going to look stupid. And they blew it. You know, and if that is how God has this whole thing planned, then we are hosed because there is no way that we're going to come up with the right words and the right stuff uh, to lead people into God. God has to be the one who moves everyone. And so don't put too much pressure on yourself, but make sure that you know what you believe because that does look bad when, when uh, you get a little bit older and you're in a conversation and a question comes up and you can't really even defend what you believe. Then you look as weak as a Mormon does when they're trying to defend their craziness or, or uh, a Scientologist when they're trying to defend their craziness. You have to know what you believe, and so keep studying, um, you know, day after day. As Jordan put it, keep putting in the reps, putting in the reps. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's all I know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too bright up here, so I just try to keep it as simple as possible. I like that. I like that. I read my Bible while I'm doing my push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> all at once. It's yeah. really a crazy thing. Multitasker. Crazy thing. All right, so we will move on to the next question. This is regarding Matthew 5, 21 through 22, which says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's kind of intense. Very intense. <laughs> Boom. Um, 
So it's talking about like anger as a negative thing, but would you guys say there's situations where anger is justified or are we called to not be angry people? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a person who thinks that, or b who believes that getting mad is something that happens and then anger is a choice. So there's a difference between being mad in a moment um, and it just being the, a, a reaction but harboring anger for a period of time is ultimately a choice that you make and you put on yourself. Uh, it's, it's not something that uh, is easy to let go of, and I'm not saying that uh, harboring anger is the, is the worst thing in the world. Everybody does it. It's just figuring out, okay, how do I navigate this? What is causing me to still have a, like these feelings toward that person? Um, because Honestly, sometimes it's, it's very, very, very justified. There is nothing wrong with getting mad in the moment and even having anger, but you have to deal with it. If anger left undealt with will ruin you in the long run. It, if you're playing the long game and you're looking at 5, 10, 15 years down the road, if that thing still is harbored in your heart, that, that can affect your relationships with the people around you, that can affect your friendships, um, who you marry one day, how you raise your family, it will affect everything else based on a, a thing that you held on to for far too long and didn't forgive through it. That's good. I think that uh, anger is justified in some scenarios. You look at Jesus um, when he goes into the temple, and he's angry and turning over the tables. Why? Because they're exploiting something um, that is supposed to be worship um, in John 2. And so we look at that, and we see Jesus himself getting angry, and it's justified. But, and then it also says um, in Ephesians that um, be angry. Like, it literally says, be angry, but don't sin in your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So there are situations where we are justified to have anger, like Jordan said, but then we have to deal with it because even even like he was saying, be authentic. Um, you know, we are people who want to be authentic. There are things that happen to us that are hurtful and that can cause anger. And I think that it's okay to be authentic with ourselves and own that. But then what do you do from there? Because I will say, I don't think that anger harbored is ever okay. When you're holding on to it, it becomes rooted inside of you. It develops other things like acting out on that anger, like violently sometimes. It also becomes bitterness, which then seeps into like everything in your life. Um, so on those, on those occasions, it does say that there is a justification for anger. We even see righteous indignation. What is that? Well, when you see an injustice happening and you get angry about it, hopefully it's going to motivate you to do something and change what's happening. But if it's anger that just gets settled down inside of you and isn't dealt with, then that's when it becomes an issue. Yeah. Like, is there anybody in here, if you think back three years, three years ago, is anybody in here uh, still like, like hatefully mad at somebody for the last three years? Has it lasted that long with anybody in here? Don't, don't say yes. Don't. Yeah. No, well, yes. if it is, you know, you got some troubles or whatever. But no, you, you, the, that's the type of thing that I, that I, the way I look at this, everybody gets mad, just like they were saying. I totally agree with that. I get mad at people like every other day. 
Uh, every time I watch the news, I'm mad at somebody when or whatever. When I drive in Springfield. Yeah, driving, all sorts of stuff. People I work with sometimes. Uh, but the way that I try to deal with that is you've got to let it roll, right? you got to let it roll off. Jesus got mad. There's multiple times in the Bible that God is angry, and it says he's angry, and it means angry. It doesn't mean anything else. It means angry. And, uh, and so we are, we are like him in that way. We're going to get mad. But you got to let it go, you know. If in like Jordan was saying, if you harbor that stuff for like more than just a little while, you're going to have massive problems. It's going to derail your life. It's going to cause uh, big problems with your relationships, uh, big problems in where you work. You are going to be a big problem, and so you just have to let all of that roll off because you really can't do anything about it anyway. If you think about it, you know, some of these things cannot be changed. Some people are morons, and you're not going to change them with your anger. So you just got to, you know, be peaceful and let it go, and then it'll make your life better. And I'm sure you've heard the saying, like, like hurt people hurt people. Like, it, it comes from within us that um, everybody that you know that, that you've seen hurt another person or when you've hurt another person, it always stems from something that's been done to you or hurt inside of you. Uh, I, when I was a senior in high school, I had a, a terrible um, basketball. I played basketball. I had a terrible season with uh, me and my head coach. We didn't see eye to eye on things. Um, he was a really a, a terrible person to not only me, but other, other people. And I held on to so much bitterness and anger for him or to, toward him for so long. Like something that was done and I hadn't seen him in three, four years, but anytime that would be brought back around to me, like you can feel that well up inside of you. And when that's, when something that c- keeps coming up like that doesn't get dealt with, like something that happened four years ago to me when I, I didn't even, like, my, my wife wasn't around, but I can use that hurt that's inside of me out and push that onto other people and react angrily to her because of something somebody else did years ago. It can stay with you. So for us, I think we just have to look at the things on our hearts, the things that people have done to us in the past, um, the things that have gone undealt with or even hurt that we've kind of done to ourselves mentally and be able to, okay, how can I process it through with people I trust and through prayer and uh, scripture with uh, my youth pastors? How can I process this with people around me so that this doesn't affect the, my rest of my high school years or the rest of my college or my relationships going on and on and on and on for the rest of my life. How do I deal with it now to do that in the future? Mm-hmm. And it's important to, to think through that, especially pain that's been going on for that long, it is silly to think that that goes away in a moment or an instant. This is a, this is a constant, how can I walk through this? How do I process this through with people that I trust? How do I continue to do that? Because it's not a, I forgive you, it's done. That, that's just a starting point. It's then processing through the emotions and the pain that's been going on for the last year, two years, however long it's been, and being able to, to eventually completely unload that. Well, and getting to a place of forgiveness, um, because in forgiveness, it's not just about the other person. It's about personal healing as well. Um, 
you, I, I remember how, how Jordan was talking about um, things come up later on. Um, I remember driving down the freeway, driving home from, I was a youth pastor. I was driving home late at night on the freeway. And I was listening to music or whatever. And I'm telling you, out of nowhere, this rage came over me that I literally wanted to put my fist through the window. And I was like, why am I angry right now? Like, what? Something just happened. Something just, like, triggered something in me. What was it? And so I kind of had to replay in my mind in that moment. What just happened? And where did this emotion come from? And I'm like, okay, this is what triggered it. What is linked to that trigger? Like, what, what happened in my past that I'm still holding anger? And I had to, like, go back, and I figured out that it was someone, a friendship who hurt me and betrayed me, and I thought I had moved past it, and I hadn't. And so, so all of a sudden, I'm, like, this happy, bubbly, like, youth pastor, and then all of a sudden, I'm, like, ready to, like, pound something. Um, so it's, yes, the sin issue of forgiveness, um, and the anger, or is that allowed? Should we, should we have anger? Is it justifiable? Is it a sin? There's that side of it, yes. But why does God talk to us about this stuff? Because it messes up our relationship with him, first of all, mm-hmm. because it's unrighteousness in our life. Uh, so that messes up that relationship. And then all the other relationships, and then it just eats you inside. Like, who wants to live like that when you can experience healing and freedom and forgiveness? But it is a journey, and it is a process. And all that people are weird. There you go. They're weird. They've always been weird. Look at the Bible. Bunch of weirdos back in there. Um, they're strange personality types, you know. And so you just got to realize that if you haven't met them yet, you will. And uh, so when you when you throw in that turn the other cheek thing, I think this applies to some of that. Mm-hmm. People are odd, so don't let it get you. You know, keep moving forward because you're going to encounter them in life, a bunch of them. And so just try to pick a solid path and rise above that and keep on rolling. I think especially with this age group, like there's a lot of like teen angst. So like, you know, you're kind of quick to anger, not to like point you guys out, but you're kind of quick to anger. (laughs) And so I think this is such a crucial time for you to really put this into action of thinking and really like reviewing for yourself, why did I get angry so quickly? How do I process through this? If you can't process through it yourself, like come bring it to a leader, bring it to a counselor. Like right now is such a crucial time for you to deal with these things because once you get even my age, I'm only 22 years old, like those things will be harbored up and you won't really understand why and you'll have to unpack it. So I think those were good comments. Um, Okay, so we're going to go to Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body going to hell. Youch. That's intense. So... This is saying, like, things that cause you to sin, like, get rid of them. What would you guys say, like, if the thing causing you to sin is, like, another person in your life? If it's your friend or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, what would you say in those situations? There you go. What if it's Uh, your parents? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Blanket statement there. But uh, I I do, I am a firm believer in getting rid of it, though. If there is something that's causing, like, problems in your life, get rid of it. 
Uh, you probably don't need it anyway. It's probably not really that important in the long run, so get rid of it. Uh, some of these major things that this is probably alluding to in life, um, I mean, I guess just my advice is to get rid of it. You know, if, if there's something that is constantly uh, a temptation or a vice or something for you, then do everything on your own to separate yourself from it. Um, the gouging out the eyes, I mean, heck, I guess if you have to, right? But uh, maybe you should just separate yourself from whatever you are looking at or whatever you're seeing. Uh, get distance from that. As far as, like, family members, man, that's a tough one. Uh, it's really tough. In a lot of ways, you are stuck where you're at with uh, your family and sometimes your friends who, you, you know, or the people around you at school. That, it's very difficult. I, um, I don't have a great solution to any of that other than distance. Uh, try not to escalate the things that are uh, causing the issues. If you are partaking of that, try not to. I know that's easy to say, um, but I think just separation and distance is how I approach that. If, if there's a problem, just separate. Uh, I'm a pretty creative person in the sense that uh, if I, I can blame my own problems on other people very creatively. Uh, I, can, I can put my own problems and my own things to, that I need to deal with and I can put those on somebody else, put the blame on them, and then say, look at this person. It's their fault. I think we have to be very careful and separate the, the terms temptation and sin. If it's temptation, then that can, can lead to a choice to sin. So you clear out the temptation, and then all of a sudden you're not having to make that choice in that moment. But let's not uh, say this is causing me to sin when there is a moment in between temptation and sin that you insert your choice. Uh, this is something for me that uh, was very trying, but ultimately very freeing in the sense that it's, it's not projecting my sin onto other people and saying it's their fault or uh, they're the ones that are causing it because that, that's very easy for me to do. Like I said, very creative. But when it's named as a temptation, then it's, okay, now it's on you, Jordan. Like, you have to be the one that cuts off the temptation at its root before it starts taking uh, over and control of your life. I think when you identify those things, either in friend groups and stuff, um, then you move towards making a decision of what do I need to do. Um, and sometimes that needs to be handled delicately because what if it is one of your good friends who is also a Christian who goes to youth group with you, and you're starting to recognize, I mean, we think about the big stuff, right? Like we're thinking about, oh, a boyfriend or girlfriend, and we're doing stuff we shouldn't do, or my friend is um, wanting me to do drugs. What about your friends who just gossip all the time? Or what about friendships or relationships that you're around that consistently are just sarcastic and making fun of people constantly? Like, it, it's talking about that stuff, too. And I don't think it's wise to be like, you are causing me to sin. We can't be friends anymore. You know, like that's just going to cause hurt. Um, but there is, there is sometimes a slow distance that needs to be created. Because when I start recognizing, especially, listen, when you start planting your feet in Jesus, 
and getting serious, and I'm not saying that you're not there, but wherever you are, if you start to go deeper from wherever you're at, if the friends around you don't, sometimes the Lord will start pointing out stuff that you're like, you don't really need that anymore. Because maybe everybody in your friend group, they're just not at that place yet. The Lord isn't dealing with them as of those specific issues. And also, that's another thing, like, don't put on everybody else what the Holy Spirit is convicting you about. So when the Holy Spirit starts convicting you about stuff and you're like, ah, I need, I need to get a little bit of distance because I want God to keep doing what he's doing instead of keep bringing up these things that are now sin issues because God's calling me out on it. You can do that by not texting every single day, not hanging out all the time on the weekend. Like you slowly create the distance because you don't need to be a jerk about it. You don't need to cut off your friendships and never engage them. But what are you doing to get closer to Jesus? But then also looking for people who are running at the same pace as you, people who are having the same God conversations that you are having and getting closer to those people. Yeah, I think that that's very important that uh, a healthy friend group around you will weed out more toxic people in your life than you just saying, I'm going to cut this person off. I'm going to cut this person off. Like you'll notice as you, uh, I, I, you can probably even see it now in certain friend pockets and groups of the people that you interact with on a day-to-day basis, uh, toxic groups will spit out health, healthy people. They will just, like healthy people will just not be able to fit into those, like being able to think through healthy relationships like that. But a healthy friend group will just, it just weeds out toxic people because they, the toxic people don't have anybody to latch onto and do that with. And, and be able to gossip or communicate about other people or talk bad about other people with because if they can't find that in a healthy friend group, they're just going to latch on to somebody else. So that is so, so, so important because if you form it around you, it's almost like a, a protective barrier that you can use that as a, uh, me and my friends, we're just not about that. I think that's good. I think we're probably all pretty quick to put the blame for our own sin on someone else whenever possible like at all. Um, But really it takes some evaluation of yourself and then also surrounding yourself with good friends makes that a lot easier for you. And it gives you, you know, people to ask, is this person um, someone who I should witness to or is it someone who I really need to step away from in this moment so I can grow for myself? So I think those are all great comments. I think it's also important to point out that Jesus uh, doesn't say, um, is your friend's eye causing them to sin? You gouge it out. Like, I, I, th- I think it's very important to recognize that uh, Jesus is saying, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Um, we're not uh, here, put on this earth, to say, uh, you're the problem, you're the fault, you need to fix that in your life. But we need to come alongside as, um, as friends and followers of Jesus uh, and say, I- I'm going to walk with you through it. Because they're ultimately the ones that has to deal with it in the, in the future. That's good. And going on with the same verse, um, Christina even hit on it a little bit. Um, Though most of you aren't like dating right now, that's something that you're probably approaching in the decently near future. And so how would you guys say that this, these uh, verses work with uh, boundaries between a boyfriend and girlfriend? It's so a heart issue. Like that's just, that's where it starts. One of my biggest things is heart and mind. So what you think about is what you'll act out. That's just whatever's going around in your head and spinning and let you're letting it continue to spin there. I guarantee you at some point, people say, people who made bad sexual decisions in their life and they look back and be like, I didn't mean to, like it just happened. We, I, 
I, it, we didn't plan it, like we just ended up. What were you thinking about before you got to that moment? Were you making wise choices in your heart and mind? And so when it's the specific question about setting boundaries, okay, you can set all the boundaries you want, but if you, if you don't have your heart and your mind set in it, and if you don't have accountability with strong Christians around you, more than likely not just your peers, like someone who's a leader in your life accountability with, you will cross those lines. So you can say all the things that you want to about, well, these are the boundaries that I'm going to put with the opposite sex. But the truth is, like, what's going on inside of you is, is the real issue. Um, and, and what are you letting, so, so, you know, we can think, well, am I not supposed to about, think about the other, the opposite sex? I'm not supposed to be attracted. Am I not, you know, no, God made us that way. Like, God made us to be attracted to other people, not just as friendships, but romantically as well. There's nothing wrong with that. What you do with that then can become the issue. And then that's where you have like serious boundary issues. So a couple of things that, um, that for me, that I, I did as, as a young adult, um, first of all, I was keeping check of what I, I would let go on in my mind. Not Jordan said earlier, temptation. Temptation is not sin, okay? So when it's there in front of you, you're like, you're not, oh my gosh, I'm sinning. No, no, no. It's there in front of you. Come on. We're on social media. We're watching television. We're watching movies. There is inappropriate stuff in front of us all the time. Now, I would say probably weed some of that out of your life because that is also going to keep stirring those, those pictures. Um, and as you weed that out, but but... What am I letting continue? That's where the sin issue comes in. Not the immediate temptation that's in front of me, but am I letting a thought continue about a person, about a situation? Where am I? And then later on, am I continuing to? So, so let's say you walk away from that. You shut it down in the moment. Two days later, all of a sudden, that image or that thought is in your head. Temptation. What you do with it becomes sin if you continue to ponder on it and keep going there. So... I think the boundaries thing, man, back it all the way up to your heart. Because realistically, what the verse is talking about is he doesn't say the actual physical act of adultery. He says, are you thinking about a woman inappropriately? That, and that goes both ways, guys or girls. Um, are you thinking about someone inappropriately? Because that's just as great a sin as it is actually physically acting it out. So Jesus is talking about our heart. Because he knows that our heart is going to lead us to what we do. So, yes, set boundaries. When you start dating, set boundaries. Have um, I kind of went, like, my life was very visible. Um, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I had a lot of people watching my life. I was single in that. So I was like, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my life to the highest standard of integrity that I possibly can. So when I would engage with people or have a relationship, number one, I had um, some very trusted friends who had all access to, to my life, meaning my email, my text messages, my social media. I didn't delete anything. And they at any moment could say, give me your phone and give me your passwords and check it. And I knew that. So that helped me stay in check. That was a boundary for me. I also um, was careful about how much time sometimes I spent with, with guys or alone. Or um, sometimes, you know what, like you, you're going too far somewhere be emotionally or mentally because you're just texting too much. 
Like, is there any set amount? Only 250 text messages a week to this person? No, there's not. You did? How many text messages? Right, then it would shut you down. (laughs) They don't have that anymore. They have, you know, back in my day, we didn't have cell phones when I was in high school, so it wasn't I'm not there. I'm not there. I had cell phones. I'm a little older. What did they have in your... <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> but no, but realistically, it goes all of that to say it goes back to a heart issue. Your boundaries begin with your heart. Okay, I'm I'm gonna agree with that for uh, someone that that's older than you are. Uh, my advice for you is. You don't need these relationships anyway. I mean, what, are you going to get married in high school or something? I say uh, you don't need that type of relationship in in middle school or in high school. Uh, Save that stuff for later. All it'll do is complicate your life right now. You can't do anything about it. It's going to lead you into these places that you don't want to be and should not be, and it's going to cause you to stumble. So what are you doing, right? Just wait till you're older to get engaged with any of those type of activities. You're just going to, like, hurt yourself. Um, So that's how I would view the younger side of this. I know that's, you know, it is what it is. So just, uh, you know, just uh, stand stand firm. I will say with that, if you can learn to develop, in junior and high and high school, if you can learn to develop healthy friendships and relationships with the opposite sex, I guarantee you your dating relationship later on when you can actually be serious about marriage changes the game, changes everything. Because you're not playing games. You're not being silly about stuff. You know how to interact with the opposite sex and have a relationship, have a conversation, and not like, oh, I've got to impress this person. And, And for those of you who do know my story, I know some of you girls in here probably do, but I didn't date until later in life. Um, I got married at 36, so yes, that my story was different, and that is not everybody's story, but because I had learned how to be friends with, with men and have a good, solid relationship and friendship, I didn't, Israel and I didn't walk into our relationship trying to impress each other and trying to be fake, right? Because that's what, like, happens a lot. Like, oh, well, you're not who you said you were. You're not, you're not as nice as I thought you were or how you were in the beginning, you know? Um, And so I will say on that end, learn how to have a friendship with people first before you even consider, like, a romantic relationship. Here, I'm going to spark some hope in this room. Uh, I met my wife when I was 15 years old. Uh, Me too. I was going to say, these, these, two are, these so, two are a different game. So, it but, can happen. It can happen at youth camp. You guys didn't go. 100%. Right? It, was at, it was at youth. So, it was. Oh it my was gosh. at youth camp. It was youth camp. Oh, my gosh. I'm one of those people. Um, but we didn't date. Until, were you in the altar? <laughs> we were not. Yeah. We were not. We were okay. not. Uh, like so I was, I was 15 angel. years old when I met uh, my wife, Carissa, for the first time. Um, it was one of those things where... I tell it now, and it sounds super sweet, but when you're 15 years old, this is the most terrifying thing in the world. It's like I met her, and I hung out with her for a week, and I was like, oh, my gosh. If I ever date this girl, like, it's over for me. It's, it's seriously over for me. It's so weird to think as a 15-year-old, and I was terrified of it. I, I was one of those people that uh, uh, I'm, st- I'm still kind of scared of commitment. I, I say, I joke that, like, the only thing I'm ever committed to 100% is my wife um, and, and following Jesus. But other than that, I don't commit to anything because I'm so scared of it. And that week after I, I met her for the first time and we texted a little bit, I just stopped texting her. 
because I was, I was so scared. I didn't know how to handle it. Um, which See, he separated. Right right. There. He cut it off. <laughs> that smart. But, but so you hit well, your limit. We were friends for a long time before that. But I handled uh, it. I handled relationships with other girls poorly. So that that one, I was so scared of commitment um, in the sense that, like, I knew that if I ever dated her, it was over for me. That I swung the other way, and I was like, these girls over here at my high school, I don't give a rip about. So I can hang out with them, I can text them, and it's no harm, no foul. But when in, in all reality, um, every relationship that you have with the opposite sex, even in, in building healthy relationships with friends that aren't, is preparing you for relationships that you're going to have five, ten years from now. Every relationship that you have is, is a learning experience, and it's, it's figuring it out. So with me and my wife, it was... Uh, once I got, once I figured out, once she said, once I figured out, stop being dumb and got serious with my life, I was 19, 20 years old. And that's when um, I regretted some of the, the terrible mistakes that I made in my high school years of not building healthy relationships with, uh, with other people. It was just, it was practice and reps. I was very lucky on my end that um, her dad for us was a, wasn't like one of those like tough dads with a gun that was saying there like if you touch my daughter I'm going to shoot you like I mean he he, he was kind of like that but he didn't do that to me he uh he sat me down before we ever started dating and he said listen and he knew me from growing up because we again me and Carissa were friends and he said uh I'm 100% for you whether this works out with my daughter or not um what I want for the both of you is to walk through this in a healthy way um, res- respect each other, communicate with each other because this isn't my relationship. This is her relationship and this is your relationship. So you guys have to be the ones that communicate. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. I'm for you and I want to be able to be a resource where you can talk to me at any time. I can talk to you at any time so that we're on this basis of trust. Not everybody has that, but there are people around you that want to be that for you, whether it's parents, leaders, um, what, whatever it is that want to be that healthy outlet for you to have a question about what this means when I'm dating somebody when I'm, if you are when I'm 16, 17, how does this affect the rest of my life? Because every, every relationship that you have is pointing towards something in the future, whether it's that person or somebody else. And I think for all of you, it doesn't uh, not involve you like what they're saying is, Um, engaging in your relationships now, even if you're not dating, these are still formative times in your relationships for the future. So um, really just strive to create healthy boundaries with your friends now and um, find accountability now um, for those times in the future. So we have like two more minutes. Um, The last question is dealing with Matthew 5, 39 through 42. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Which, Tim, you said this was the biggest struggle for um, not just teens, but everyone today. What would you guys say to the individual who struggles with being bullied at school when it comes to these verses? Tim, you want to take that one over? Uh, I mean, the bullying thing. Let me, I don't know. I have a weird take on all of this. Uh, I I got along with most people all throughout school. There was a couple people I didn't. Uh, I didn't like them. They were 
nuts, I thought. And uh, Tim y- thinks everyone's a nut. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> there, you will find them, and and I tell you, it's difficult to deal with them. It really is. Uh, it causes problems. It's hard to know what to do, uh, how to avoid them, or how to interact uh, without escalating things. I don't have the silver bullet answer on that. I don't. It's very difficult. Um, For the most part, though, I think you do need to have confidence and be firm, though. If you you constantly look like you are the weaker party, then you're inviting people to pick on you or say things to you or bully you or whatever it might be. So you've got to develop uh, confidence. And that confidence is more than just physical confidence. Uh, It's more than just, you know, emotional confidence is, is probably what, what this relates to the most, but you've got to be confident. And some of that confidence comes from your knowledge uh, of, of subject matters in school. It comes from knowledge of the Bible. It comes from knowledge of knowing what others have done and how it's worked out for them. I think, uh, you know, my advice would be to, to be bold and firm, stand up for yourself uh, but at the same time, if you can't deal with the bully, then you, you definitely need to talk to somebody uh, and get help with it. Because n- there's not a right answer for every one of these situations. And you may need to seek some adults that have a wiser uh, take on this than you do. Uh, for me, um, I, didn't, I didn't personally deal with this when I was in high school, but my wife did. Um, and it's been... Uh, very like enlightening and hearing the the stories and the hurt that's that's on her life because of what happened with different girls in middle school and high school and like like I mean ladies like girls can be mean sometimes middle and school girls <laughs> are literally the meanest and vicious and it's it's almost like she and I lived completely different lives because I was like man my friends were not like that at all but they were her friends that that were that were bullying her and um it it's almost like she had to it wasn't turn the other cheek in the moment like she's one of the most like uh stick it to you bold I don't care what you say I'm going to tell it like it is people that I've ever met in my life and the hurt that was caused from it has carried with her even till today and so I guess what I'm trying to say is that uh even when handling it in, in a situation that you're going to be able to have to deal with this for a while, but don't let it, um, like we said earlier, don't let it ha- stay harbored in your soul. She's had to, to talk this out on multiple accounts with multiple people because it was just so long that she just, she wore it on herself. She would take the, she would take the emotional abuse and just wear it and keep it and say, this is who I am because this is who the people around me are saying. And it has taken her a long time to be able to begin to unload that and say, no, 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 that was people that were hurting themselves. They were going through their own struggles, their own pains, and they didn't know how to deal with it in a healthy manner. And it ended up being taken out on me. So she's learned to not put that on them and keep that anger towards them but instead learn to look at it in a way that I think Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to say there's a reason why they were acting that way towards me. There's a reason why they said those things. There's a reason why those things happened. 
And what I want to do is be able to be a loving and a caring person now to those that I know that are coming farther along behind me to say, listen, it's not your fault. It's not your identity. It's theirs. This is what God thinks about you. This is what Jesus says about you. And this is who um, he created you to be. And it's not what they say. It's all about their own hurt and how they deal with it. It's not about you. I think one of the ways that you get there to be able to logically process separated from our emotion of it is by talking to someone and being able to see that why, my, my dad always tells me this, he says, consider the source. Okay, so someone is bullying or someone is um, being, being mean or hurtful, consider the source. Why are they doing that? What is causing them the need to feel like they have to do that to you? Um, and then it brings you to a logical place of seeing it like Jordan is saying of, okay, love my enemy, love someone who's hurting me. But back to like the, the bullying in general, bullying is so vast at this point. Um, it can be people who are close to us. And in the way in our friend group, they isolate us, but we're still in the group. Like that's messed up. Um, and, and it can also, you know, be through social media. It can be the more extreme where we're talking about people getting beat up. There's so many, it can, bullying can go to the point of you just being persecuted as a Christian. So like Tim said, there are various ways because of dealing with whatever situation it is because no situation is exactly the same. So it might need to be that you need to, like Tim said, you need to bring an adult into the situation, an administrator, if it's something at school. And I know that that is hard to do, but if we're talking about turning the other cheek and what does Jesus mean in that, listen, Jesus never said it's okay for you to be a doormat, just let him beat you up, emotionally, physically, whatever it is. He did say love them, but love is also full circle in making people do what is right. Love is discipline. Um, I love my daughter, so yes, I will discipline her when she gets older and has a concept of that. So one, bullying is in a lot of different facets. Two, um, if you need to, if it's an extreme, something that's extreme, you need to bring other people into it. You need to tell your parents. Um, some, some things, when we are in junior high and high school, we don't have the capability of handling and dealing with on our own, and that's okay. That's why adults are in our life at that point. And then three, of pulling off of what Jordan said about Carissa, is you've got to process with someone else. And that may be a group that you need to kind of separate yourself from and find other friends. And I have... One of my girls back home, um, close friend group in the church, and she was always the one who was left out. But they're all best friends. And consistently, over and over and over, and she, she finally separated herself from this group and found herself with no friends. And she's like, the only thing I've ever wanted was just a strong group of friends. I just want one best friend. And it had gone a few years without her having that. And what I saw... And I know that this is hard to embrace sometimes. What the Lord was doing in her in that season was developing her foundation of leadership. Because there are seasons in our life, if we are called to a place of leadership, where it's going to be lonely. And, and not that you don't have people around you, but sometimes you don't feel like people understand where you're at. So I saw 
the Lord doing in her by creating this scenario where she felt like she had no friend. There were a lot of us that loved her, but she felt like she had no friend. She didn't have a best friend who was her same age. Now she does. Now she has like this group of amazing women around her who are all also leaders. And I would say that probably a lot of them went through some of the similar experiences. And that's not to justify being bullied. I'm not saying that God puts that on you to, hey, going to give you this and like you're going to rise up. Um, but all of that to say, look at, assess the situation and what needs to happen with it and then process through it. You don't, the thing about being a Christian, this is my last thing. The thing about being a Christian is we do have hope. We have hope that we don't have to live as a victim stamped by the bullying that happens in our life and live tagged with that for the rest of our life. We are able to find in Christ that, that forgiveness, that personal healing and wholeness um, to be able to move on and then turn around like Carissa is and love those people. It's good. All right, guys, so we are wrapping up. Would you guys just join me in prayer? God, I thank you so much for giving us your word to wrestle through together. God, I thank you for each of these individuals who has spoken today. God, I pray that as we leave, that um, these words would resonate with us, that we would continue to wrestle with them. But, Lord, that we would just ultimately look to you for everything that we need. God, all of these expectations put on us in chapter 5, we cannot accomplish on our own, and we have to look to you to have them. Lord, would you be with us tonight? We love you, Lord. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you want to find out more about our youth ministry or any other ministry here at Evangel Temple, you can visit our website at etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.